0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome to the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. Let's be honest. This week, it is going to be the turn of Texas' Bob Juarez, who I spoke to very recently in Texas, um, to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other kind of groovy stuff. Anyway, this is the interview. Yes, there's a lot about Dan Tracy. Check it out. Sid Barrett. And much, much more. Um, Yeah, so after quite a few minutes of um, casual chat, mostly about trying to get Zoom to work, Zoom, we didn't even know what that was this time last year, we were talking about the 1967... 14-hour Technicolor Dream event that took place at the Ali Pali, Alexandra Palace in London, I think it was April time um, it was all about the summer of love and um, for various reasons we got onto this interesting subject and uh, this was Bob um, discussing about the 14-hour Technicolor Dream it all makes sense, don't worry, it does to me anyway and um, yes one of the nicest people in music anyway, Bob, Texas Bob it's over to you. Tell us about the 14-Hour Technicolor Dream Machine.
1: Uh, well, you know, the, the date was, I believe it was April 29th, 1967. Yes, Ali Pali. And Ali Pali, yeah. And basically, it was the gathering of the tribes. It's like all these amazing wizards of music and art and film, they all converged this one night it, it, up this hill, like, you know, at, at the famous Ali Pali. And it's just like something like that. I don't know it's ever it's ever never taken place since, but it was still amazing because the Beatles were there, the Stones were there, Hendrix was there. The, I mean, you know, I think Perko Haram were there. I, I spoke to the guys from the Creation, like Eddie Phillips, he told me he was there, and there was just so many people, the Who. It was just on and on and on. Like, people like, you know, like uh, David Hemmings and all these other people, they all they all came together in this this one amazing synchronistic event.
0: Yes, well, because it was... It um... fascinated me no end. Yeah, because it was one of the, it was a kind of fundraiser, wasn't it? Which Barry Miles and and Hoppy H- Hopkins had done for I, was it IT magazine that they were IT, that's right, International Times, yeah. And they were trying to get money, and I remember um, I spoke to Joe Boyd, who did the first oh, kind of Joe Boyd,
1: wow, <laughs>
0: <laughs> who did the first no, Pink thing. Floyd single, um, Arnold Lane. and he was there and right. he was saying. You know, you know, and and Barry Miles, who was also there, and I'd done an interview with him, and he was saying that that felt like, you know, they had what they would, it was all going to happen. You know, they had taken over. It was all good stuff. The sunrise the next day, everybody slightly tripping on LSD. It was, it was all good stuff. Obviously, that was that was the peak. So uh, it kind of doesn't, yeah, definitely, definitely, it doesn't go down. So you were there.
1: Oh, there in 1967. Yes. No. No. I wasn't even born. I mean, I wasn't even born then. No, I kind of was confused. I
0: was just like, like, hey, you know, I thought, God, your 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 sort of your skincare routine is very good, actually. So, what was your um? So, because I'm in my mid fifties, okay. So, I grew up in the sort of the seventies with the kind of the early seventies glam scene, Amazing. watching Top of the Pops. Um, you know, there was, Sweet. Bowie, yes, and and some dreadful other bands as well. But you know, at the same time, Candy. Barry Glitter. So what was your kind of formative musical years?
1: Well, it was actually like in San Antonio, Texas. It's like I had like a a very uh, caring, supportive mom who allowed me to kind of uh, be free and explore my musical journey. You know, as a kid, I was like just listening to like the Beach Boys and then all the harmony and the production. And then then there's the Beatles and then like kind of Zeppelin and then the Bowie, the Sweet. Harem, like all these bands are just like it just kind of made an indelible influence on my um my, my musical development and uh yes very much but, inspirational
0: yeah because In I suppose so in the sort of the 60s, when I, because I was born in 64, so I was kind of listened to the, you know, what my mum was probably listening to in the, ra- you know, in the kitchen and around the house, which was kind of, in the UK it was radio too, so it was all kind of soft pop stuff. And then it, it was, though I must admit, you know, people like The Carpenters are still, you know, one of my favourite bands for obvious reasons, but it was oh, really beautiful. Yeah. It, was, it was watching Top of the Pops in the early 70s and listening to the Top 40 on a Sunday evening that I became kind of obsessed with music. But luckily, it was my first single was David Bowie's Space Oddity, which was 70. Oh, my God, 69. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did the reissue. I was on the reissue on the 75 reissue because well, I would have been only five and I definitely wouldn't have been buying singles when I was five. So what was your kind of early first kind of musical kind of single and album? I guess it would have
1: been the Beatles. I guess it would have been the Beatles probably like uh this was please please me, you know, and then there was the first one which is introducing the Beatles which is the American version of uh pre- American version of, of please please me. You know, it's called Introducing the Beatles. Yes.
0: Yeah. I think yeah. I think the ones that I can remember because funny enough when I was growing up my brother in about 73, 74, sort of, we, we didn't have a, I think when my parents got married, they had to sell everything, you know, in the 50s, you know, as, as a lot of people did, you know, in, including the records and the record player and just everything just to survive. Cause you know, that was like the fit, what you did in the 50s when you work in class. So they got a record player in the early 70s and my brother got like a couple of albums. One was the Sergeant Pepper one. And the other one was um, Elton John's Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, 73. Oh, so, and it was kind of weird because I sort of, I hadn't realised that the Beatles then had only just broken up, hadn't they? They'd only broken up about three years at, at that sort of 73, 74 period.
1: Yeah, like around 1970 when they broke up, you know, it was like from that point on they had, then they re-released like the greatest hits, which was the Beatles 62 to 66, which was the Red, the Red album. And then there was the Beatles 67, 67, 70. Which yes, is the Blue Album. The Blue Album. The Gay Blue one yeah.
0: And they were classic. So when did you start sort of doodling with music and sort of thinking, actually, I'm going to start playing. I'm going to start playing an instrument.
1: Oh, probably when I was around, it, was, it would, would have been primary school or in the US equivalent, like kind of elementary school. I probably would have been about, you know, my formative, well, first kind of that that um that epiphany that I had was probably when I was six seven years old, like around seven years old, like my grandmother had like an upright piano in the uh, the pool room, yeah, and my un- my uncle would play guitar and and hearing those sounds of guitar chords being played and me loving music and the beatles and zeppelin and and the sweet and you know um bowie t rex it's like just kind of it just it just basically was like lightning hitting me. It was like, wow, just total inspiration. Yes. And just hearing the sounds of the piano, it's just, uh, I was just like, I was entranced, you know what I mean, by it, you know? So like, whenever I got a chance, whenever like the the, um, the piano wasn't locked, and when it was open, I just start doodling and start like feeling my way around the a, around a keyboard and start learning about melody and things like that. And just teaching myself. Yes, but then
0: obviously you had a musical instrument that in the house. Did you get sort of a bit of tuition and a bit of
1: guidance? Not really. I just basically, I taught myself. I just bought, my my mom, my mom bought me chord books and everything, and I started learning about diagrams and chord books, and 145, you know, one four five, one three five, all one, three, four, all of that and relative chording. But that's as a kid, and that was, I think my first guitar was probably when I was like maybe nine nine and it was an acoustic guitar nine ten years old right and I just like started teaching myself you know I didn't even know how to tune it you know I was just like wanting to just feel my way and say, like, well this is how you play a d quarter and just teaching myself really
0: that's really impressive and when did I mean were you, how old were you when say the monk uh the monk the punk period sort of um kick in
1: we mean like in 75 to yeah 75.
0: 76 77
1: oh, oh my god I was like 7 to 11.
0: Right. So that was very, because cause, cause to be honest, I I was um, a bit older, but not old, much older. So punk kind of passed me by quite a bit easily, really. But it was, and also at that time, you couldn't just, you know, if you read about The Clash or the Sex Pistols or even not read about them, but just saw their name and thought, oh, what's all that about? You couldn't just go and listen to it because, you know, you didn't have the access to the internet back in 1976. So, you know, You you could know that something's happening, but at the same time you wouldn't be able to unless you invested serious money, like two pound ninety nine, go and buy the album. And and frankly, that would have been a bit of a risk. So so it was kind of interesting that I didn't, you know. a lot of things that happened back then, you didn't sort of have the access, even in the eighties, when I used to listen to John Peel, he'd play a record. You would say, oh my God, I'd love to go and listen to that again. And it's like, shit, I can't, you know, I can't can't even buy the record, you know, because it was quite difficult. So during the, so in the eighties, then this was definitely you, your sort of coming of age period, then your teen years.
1: I would say definitely. I mean, kind of, we kind of listening to like the Cure, like 17 seconds of three imaginary boys and seven, you know, like a uh, faith, you know, pornography album. I mean that, and along with the damned and along with like XTC, like drums and wires, and you know, the English settlement, uh, you know what I mean? Go one, go, you know, go one, go two, all those. just like, I, I, I thank my uncle, my uncles for that because Whenever I'd be in the backseat of the car, like my, my uncle would play Adam and the Ants. You know what I mean? Like where's White Sox? You know, '79, '80 in the in Texas in the USA. And then hearing about the Texas Pistols playing Randy's Rodeo. I think it was like 1978. Like their only U.S. tour, January of '78. They played San Antonio, Texas. You know? and there and you because, go. And hearing about that, and, and that it, 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 like in that like in you know imprinted on history (laughs) and punk history but yeah it's like uh, yeah yeah.
0: and was and was it quite you know your community in texas um did was it quite a musical kind of place where you were did you feel like a community of people there
1: for a bit when i was my teenage years i we were kind of like you know you know i was like driving around had a car that like my either bought from my dad or like was renting from my dad or something and i just load Load up. I would just load up my the car with the instruments and then drive down to Taco Land and and play shows in downtown San Antonio and just connected with other what I felt at the time was like kindred spirits and you know it's like I'll never forget going to these house parties and I hearing like in the next room like that that beautiful that beautiful English whimsical voice that just oh my god it's like it was an epiphany again and Sid barrett you know what i mean <laughs> right yes yeah. and and going to going to those house parties playing the house parties playing taco land playing these other places in san antonio yeah those were my that kind of helped form like uh me as a, a musician and as an artist and as a performer and so yeah and then from from that time and you know, i just decided like what time to Get on to austin texas which supposedly is the live music capital of the world and it yes it, you know liverpool's the live music capital of the world and all these other cities are the live music capital of the world. And all the cities of the world are the live music capital of the world because they all have gems in each city <laughs> yes liverpool's well i, I get yes
0: city. well it's interesting because because there's a record label here called cherry red and they seem to hoover oh, up a lot red. of compilations and they just did one on manchester which was seven cds of that kind of period and, they, and then liverpool they did one which was five and then they've done, you know, Scotland and Sheffield. So, yeah, amazing, there was, there, amazing, there was, yeah. so every, every city, I say every city, I mean, I come from a place called Norwich, we don't really have. Oh,
1: Norwich, yeah, great.
0: Nice place, but not a great musical history, heritage. Really. <laughs> I remember
1: we, went, we played the Norwich Waterfront.
0: Right, there you go. With,
1: with television personalities opening up for MGMT.
0: Nice one. Well, this is very At,
1: their <laughs> At their Oh,
0: God, you have been here. Yeah. This is good. But look, so, so during the 80s, you know, we, you know, in the UK, you had Reagan, in, obviously in America, we had Thatcher. You know, politically, things were a bit grim, unlike now. Which very,
1: is... very much so.
0: <laughs> and then, you know, there was a lot of unemployment and a lot of bands, you know, a lot of people who were quite young in that teen period, you know, just thought, well, I'll be unemployed claims and benefit and being a band and so there was a kind of a looking back on it and now realizing it was kind of a bit of a golden period for lots of music that sort of occurred during that time because there wasn't much else to do for young people i suppose and also there was a sort of an attitude a bit of an anarchist quality to people's mind of wanting to, an
1: definitely definitely an anarchist quality definitely
0: you, you know you know let's 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 rebel by claiming unemployment benefit screw the government like that
1: <laughs> was a so there, to arms, really artistically call to arms artistically, wasn't it?
0: It was because I've got indie pop down between the years of 83 to 87, which is the years of the Smiths. There you go. Oh, and
1: oh, of course. <laughs> I remember hearing I remember hearing the The, the Smiths album, the you know the, the Seminole Smiths album. Then all of a sudden it's like you hear like uh, which I think was all peel sessions. It was like Happy of hollow it was like oh my God what's this? You yes. know like 84 I believe it was 84. 84 peel sessions they're all live.
0: They're all there. Oh, it was good oh, the, Lord. because the first, because the first Smith album, the production's not very good, personally. But the yeah. sort of the, the Hatful of Hollow album was just brilliant. So then, you know, during the eighties, then because you know you obviously had bands like REM who were sort of, that I loved REM, yeah. and then you had they might be giants, uh, Campervan yeah. Beethoven. Then you had the mm-hmm. kind of all the grunge scene with like, well, I don't know, you had Husker do the Butthole Surfers, you know, yeah, Sonic Youth, yeah. people Man like that. that. So where were you, sort of? Coming from in that period, and were you sort of just in bands, kind of trying to make it?
1: You know, yeah, like in San, well, in San Antonio, Texas, I was in bands, but at the same time, it was like the uh, the beacon for me was like early MTV. I would right. see like I would see bands like Adam and the Ants, and you know, uh, like uh, Kings of the Wild Frontier, and then uh, and then see bands like XTC. And it's like, oh my God, what is this? I the cars. You know, the cars.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, um, God. I mean, REM, I
1: mean. REM as well, listening to Murmur and Reckoning. It's like, oh my God, it's like the, the, the next birds or the next, you know, television or stuff, you know, big star. And it was like, it was brilliant. I loved it. And yes. I can see, like, listening to listening to REM, it's like that there's like this Barrett influence. There's, I mean, that they but big fans of Barrett as well. Barrett Absolutely. The- <laughs> yeah, it, it, all,
0: it all goes back to him. Because then, so then, yes, yeah, so, so when you said MTV, actually one of the first bands that got really big in MTV, mainly because they had a video and they were a bit short of videos, was a flock of seagulls. They: they Oh, they... I
1: love flock of seagulls Thank you.: <laughs> Thank you, David. Yes. I love flock of seagulls. I love Paul Edwards. He's like was my guitar hero as a kid.
0: Yes, you know. well, yeah. They they kind of got big because you know I think they were going. Jesus, has anybody got a video we can play on this you know new channel MTV?
1: It's like, oh okay, we'll just play this a lot. You
0: know, so yeah, suddenly. Yeah, oh
1: very quickly, very quickly, David. Uh, a, a correction there on my end. Paul Reynolds, the guitar genius in Flock of Seagulls, and the Score Brothers, brilliant. I mean, fantastic band from Liverpool, from the pool
0: yes yeah, this is true. Home. yeah yeah i know so when did you, yeah so then what's your journey during the 80s and into the 90s then
1: well um said playing in bands like in texas playing like punk venues rock venues all around and i just you know just i think it was actually mtv they were like having kind of um like they, they were broadcasting from from austin texas you know and i was like saying god i gotta check out Austin, Texas, because Daniel Johnston and all these other great bands are, I think he actually was, um, the, the B surfers, the B, the B surfers,
0: the B 52s.
1: Uh, no, they're actually Gibby Haynes. He's in a band called the B, B bleep surfers.
0: <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, that's okay. And of course there's 13 floor elevators as well. And so, uh, so I just wanted to explore Austin and from there, you know, just, uh, Came to Austin and, you know, got a job and just like kind of was exploring the scene, immersing myself in the scene and just uh, around that same time I believe Richard Linklater was filming Daisy Confused and all of that. And it was just like wow, there was a lot going on there. There was uh, Daniel Johnston was there and some great some great bands, you know, and um it was great to be a part of it. I ended up get joining a band and it was brilliant and we wrote our own songs and um uh, but uh, from there just, it was nice to get that little play on like mainstream, like kind of Santa, uh Austin, Texas radio. It was just th- such a buzz, you know. Yeah. So I was in Austin just playing gigs, doing this, meeting people, this and that. And um then it then uh, my apartment complex where I lived, it's like had a really wonderful landlord, very kind and supportive. Like uh knowing that he knew that I was a very much an anglophile, he basically, you know, came upstairs and knocked on my door and said, so, Robert, I've got all these, uh, these magazines. You, like an, uh, you had like a downstairs neighbor who just moved out and she was from London. I go, oh, no. Really? I would have loved to have talked to her. So he dropped off all these magazines. It was like The Enemy and Melody Maker and The Face and all these you know. And that was like around 1995 and I saw what was going on, Supergrass, Radiohead, you know, Blur, Oasis, all of this. And I said, man, I've got to get to the UK. This is right. like the fourth. Support- summer of love or something you know so then i saved, saved up worked, saved up got myself a flight to london and um on my own and just kind of ex just like this whole wonderland immersed myself taking the tube taking the buses taking the double decker bus all of this communicating with people my first of call was the good mixer and then after everything kind of came together I, right yeah I, uh,
0: Blimey, that's quite an adventure, isn't it? And this is a mm-hmm. so this was at the height of Brit pop at this period, wasn't it?
1: I guess it was like '96, like at the, the, the zenith, I guess it's '95 and '96. And it was like, you know, summer of '96, that was and uh, Camden was my port of call. You know, it was like that was the first place, it was like where supergrass would hang out and, and uh, blur and uh, suede and you know, oasis, menswear, and <laughs> you know, all these. Elastica and all these
0: great yes. bands. Yes. And- so were you quite uh, kind of, you know, how did you sort of fit in? I mean, how did you sort of, you,
1: did, did they look at you as a sort of the hot shot from America or, or sort of? Oh, no, you- no, no, no. No, I was just like some some guy from, from America. But I just, just kind of started befriending like a lot of musicians and ended up befriending. And I thank them for this. So uh, I started befriending. Um, andy ross and adam evans from food records right of my time kind of like in london and i just basically just stayed in london you know from that point on you know from 96 until like uh 2016 then i went to liverpool but you know i just met a lot of people and and what was great about food and andy, andy ross and, and adam evans is they were so accommodating and very kind they weren't dismissive i would like bring demo tapes to them and they would accept. And say, oh yeah, we'll have a listen. And sometimes Andy would say, yeah, "Come to the office, Bob, and come have a have a listen in the set player." And, and they would listen to some of my songs. And it was just so, uh, so, so joyous and so flattering as well, because uh, someone actually wanting to listen to your music and somebody who's with like your favorite one of your favorite labels yes. were were on Food, which is subsidiary of EMI, Parlophone. This, you know, and yeah, that was amazing. And then so I did... ended up befriending James Endicott from Rough Trade, because I would call him. <laughs> say, Can I send my demos Yeah, Sure. This is where it send it to this address. And, and, I, and I'd call back a couple of weeks, and then James would say, "Yeah, listen to. It. That was really good. Will you have any other songs and James Endicott, right? from Rough Trade, and also in, also in the band uh, Loop, and you know, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you '99, '99, 98,
0: '99? So during the time of the millennium was turning
1: over. Three millennium 97, 98, 99.
0: Yeah, so how were you sort of mentioned to survive? Were you just kind of doing part-time work or, or were you just...
1: Well, when I, when, I, when I was around like in 98 and 99, then I was just like, I was, I think I was actually in a relationship and married to an English girl and, and uh, we, we uh, just, I worked, I just worked at a, you know, work nights really. And it was great because, you know, the times when I would work nights, I would uh, they'd have the radio on and they had virgin radio on and, and I'd hear like blur like coffee and TV or I'd hear, you know, end of the century and all these like, you have I'd hear suede and supergraph. And I was like, oh God, it just it would excite me again back in like remembering, uh, yes. London, you know, but being here finally in London, like where it all happened, we're all kicked off with the sex pistols and you know, Adam and the Ants, or, you know. Well, absolutely, yeah. and and because at that
0: time, you know, we'd sort of, the Conservative government lost the election in 1997, uh, uh, cheesy-queasy, mm-hmm. yes, and then, you know, we had this kind of great, you know, wave of kind of, I suppose, optimism and growth with new Labour, and there was sort of a lot of things changing, and then the millennium, and obviously lots of other things didn't go so well during that period, but, you know, it was quite A lot fun. of squatting. A you lot could of, squat. Right. <laughs> oh, yes. Around that time. So when? So when did you all sort of? When did you start to sort of get? You know, you you sort of worked with uh, TV personalities, didn't
1: you? I did, and it started in like two thousand. It started in two thousand and six. Uh, this is after Sid Barrett had passed, and uh, I, I just wanted to go to uh, who's? What was the? The event was held at the Social, and I wanted to pay homage to my, you know, my hero, Sid, and. Uh, I was down there and I ended up meeting Dan Tracy and then Dan Tracy started, started kind of talking and he asked me what I did. And I said, I'm playing music. I'm from Texas. I've been playing bands, but this is around that time when I've been kind of like had gotten to know people and befriended the libertines and all these other bands and, and been in the same kind of, uh, parameter as like Alan McGee and, (laughs) and my friends introduced me to Alan McGee and things like that. And, um, like I said, befriending the Libertines and Baby Shambles and be- being a, like a photographer, a uh, uh, filmmaker and things like that and just, you know, just like documenting, like, uh, I guess you would say, like, uh, what was his name? Um, the guy who did the film, you know, D.A. Pennebaker, like D.A. Pennebaker. Oh, you know? yes. just like capturing, like, these moments, like these pivotal, like, kind of, like, zeitgeist moments. And I yes. felt at that time that with the Libertines and all these other bands that were a part of it, the Razorlight and all these other bands, and I want, needed to capture it. This is a moment in history that like probably won't ever happen again like that, you know. So that's mm-hmm. what I did. I would just kind of befriend a lot of the bands, and I'd go to Death Disco, and I'd go to the Astoria, and I'd go to all these other places, and just film all. the... Of course, before I filmed the bands, I would ask for their permission, and they would, you know, and they would say yes. And so this is what I did. I would yes. just do this up until, and I cause sometimes I would join libertine like bands and I would like kind of collaborate with them and join bands like the Paddingtons on stage or Peter Doherty on stage and things like that. <laughs> yeah, but then in 2006 after Sid's passing, I, I met Dan Tracy. And, yes. Uh, Dan Tracy had a bit of a, a scuffle there, like people kind of uh, having to go at him and things like that. And they were, Getting ready to fight him, and I basically got him in front, saying, "Oh no, hey, he's with me. You know, don't worry, he's he's just, he's with me. It's all cool, man." So I brought Dan over to to me and said, "Hey, you all right? You know?" And he was gonna get pounced, <laughs> but I I just and got him away from that. So we started talking, we started talking about music. He says, "Oh, we're here it's for, for our Sid." And then Dan just saying like, you know, just that we both love Sid, and he asked me what I did, and I said, "Well, I'm from Texas. I've been playing in bands and doing this and that." And I think that's when he told me, like after the the night was finished, that I was going to go home. He goes, "Yeah, you're going home, yeah, all right." And then he was saying he had to go. He's going to go sleep under a bridge or something. Right. Bridge. It, was your home by the bridge? He's like, "No, I'm sleeping under a bridge." So I was just like, "Oh, what? You're homeless?" And he's like, "Yeah." He goes, "And so what I did was I got in contact with my missus ex missus, and I says, hey, look, I got this guy. He's kind of, you know.'" Gonna sleep under a bridge. I mean, a nice guy just want to help him out. Do you think it's possible I can bring him over? And, you know, luckily, the ex-missus was very patient, <laughs> so, so we brought him in. We just brought him into the into the home. And Jesus,
0: that's quite something, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I just you know the next morning just kind of woke up. We made him brekkie and all that, and had had my kids there. You know, my kids and their sweethearts and. They were very kind to him and, and he was very kind he was very kind in our home and he kept them there for about three weeks but with, within that time he would like uh tell me that like can you get in contact with my label can you get in contact with domino and they might have some royalties for me or can you get in contact with lawrence bell and all these other people in arts and all these other people so this is what i did so i said hey, i'm you got a guy called Dantra here and, He's asking if you have royalties. He goes, "Oh yes, do you have an account. Does you have an account? This and that." So then he, you know, and checks over again, and and then we, well, as as he stayed with us, yes, he, he saw that I had a lot of instruments there, and my twelve string. He goes, "You play music? Like let's let's have a jam." So we had a jam, and he liked my guitar playing, like my keyboard playing. He asked if if I'm in a band. He goes, "Well, no, not really." He goes, "Would you want to join my band? Because my band basically fell apart." So leave. I says, yeah, that'll wow, well, sure. So we started like playing songs and collaborating and writing. And I said, hey, look, I've got a bass. My friend is a bass player. He's a really good bass player and a good keyboardist. Can I call him and invite him to the jam? So I called up my my dear friend Mike Stone, and uh, said, uh, hey, do you want to come for a jam? This guy's racked some really good songs. It's Dan Tracy from TVP's. <laughs> Yeah. He came over and then we all kind of connected and we had wine and beer and this and that and just started connecting here and just kind of like it was like synchronistic really like our we would we, we would jam and Dan was smiling he was loving it. And then our first show I think was a Sid Barrett show <laughs> which is at the uh the uh Union Chapel. Yeah. The original Nirvana was original Nirvana were playing with Peter I think Peter Wilson, his name thing Pe- was Peter but uh it was us. It was the Mystery Jets, Kate Nash, and a couple of other bands. But that was our sh- first show and our last show with Edward Ball. Bless him, an absolute sweetheart. So yeah, um, but, Blimey, Edward yeah, Ball. Yeah, and we had John, original drummer John Bennett as well. It was John. So so Dan basically invited John Bennett. We he invited Edward Ball, and it was me and Mike, and we basically were rehearsing TBP songs, some of his catalog and and just Dan really loved our plane. You
0: know? Yeah. So you kind of, not exactly, but, you know, you, you know, we're all a bit modest in the world, but you really saved his ass, didn't you?
1: I guess so. I, you know, because there were darker elements to it, you know, with he just kind of was ready to give up, really, you know, as he told me. Before, yes. I him, before I met him that night, he was ready to give up. Bloody in hell. all the sense of the word, you know?
0: Yes. Because um, I know, because I think he'd, he'd had his kind of prison moment, hadn't he? And had a breakdown and, and yes. Good
1: ship lollipop, as he said.
0: Yes, it was. So you must, right. you know, looking back at that, you must feel like you really, you did the right thing, didn't you?
1: It was just, uh, it, the, the thought that like this really nice, really sweet guy who's basically going to be sleeping under a bridge is like, well, I can do something about it and I can help him. And get him in contact like stay with us for you know a couple of days and like for him I can call up uh, some shelters that can help him that maybe we can kind of get him on the path of you know give him get him his own place and things yeah like that. helping somebody out you know lending a helping hand a caring helping hand Oh you know? well, yes and
0: and he he had been such a legend in the in the 80s indie world of you know so many people mention you know Wham was it Ram Wham Records he he had as well, didn't he? And That's various right. other yeah, and other connections he had with various bands. Mary Chain. Yeah, and My uh, Bloody Valentine. And and also I think there was a, a band who was squatting called um The Hangman's Beautiful Daughters, who was yes, sort of The
1: Hangman's Beautiful Daughters with Emily, a woman called Emily, I believe. Emily,
0: yes. Because um <laughs> they've just had a they they they've just had a reissue Well, they've had a compilation put together and issued this year. So they've they've sort of had a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a sort of not a comeback because they're all over the world and they're not going to reform or anything, but they've kind of got their archives done. And I think Emily was with Dan, wasn't he? Wasn't she? Yeah, that's
1: correct. Yeah, and they used to run, I believe they used to run the, was it the living room? They used to run the night together. No,
0: they used to do the ambulance station.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I think the living no, room. They
1: were, the, the, the Enterprise, I believe it was the Enterprise in Camden, in, in, uh, in chalk farm or something that he used to run nights upstairs
0: yes oh Enterprise. you're right because there is an amazing book
1: i don't know look i just have to show you this book
0: it's called have you seen it c86
1: oh c86 that's your book
0: no no it's it's the guy the guy who put the cassette together neil taylor that was he he's oh, done neil it.
1: taylor okay from that
0: period so look so staying in with the Dan Tracy television personalities, you so you, the album that you worked on th- with him was My Dark Places.
1: No, this was after the album we worked on him was uh, Memories Better Than Nothing. Right. So yeah, and, and, and EPs and singles before that, you know, like uh, she Des- she deserves a halo, and like um, my new tattoo, and all stuff we did with Elephant Records, and some with Domino, and some with. Overground, bless him, John Esplin, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So how many
0: years were you with um, the, you know, television personalities?
1: I guess it wasn't long. It was like about five years. But within that time, we ended up playing the ATP at the invitation at the behest of my bloody Valentine. You know, we we supported MGMT because they were massive fans. We collaborated with Vampire Weekend because Chris Bale was a big fan. We brought brought Dan back in touch with Alan McGee, who had been out of touch for so long you know, um, and just kind of connect, reconnected him with all his old friends. Who yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, God, that's that's quite some story. So then you obviously played a lot of shows around the UK as well.
1: The UK, we played Greece, we played Norway, we played Sweden a couple of times, we played Germany, we played Spain, we, and we were getting everything right. The thing is, like, when, when we met Dan, it's like he was blacklisted from the industry right? Uh, because unfortunately, you know, there was certain things that he took part in, I mean, you know, like with a certain addiction, bless him, you know, and um, so a lot of the industry like didn't, pro- promoters didn't want to book him. Right. Lab- labels didn't want to work with him. Uh, so he was basically blacklisted at that time that we met him after My Dark Place so what we did was, from the GaA, <laughs> we brought we brought him back into like the love and the trust of all the industry. Yes, that's such. With a, Mike Stone, bless Mike Stone, because Mike Stone knows. I mean, did the uh, you know, did mo- m- most of the uh, most of the work, like the um, yeah, what He 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 did most of the work. Yeah. Yeah. Contractual work. And I was kind of more the people person, and we would kind of reach out to these promoters and say that Dan wants to play this show, Dan wants to play here in Spain, and Dan wants to play in Greece, Dan wants to play in Sweden. A lot of them would say, sorry, we don't want to take a chance because uh, we spent, we forked out a lot of money and we lost a lot of money because Dan didn't turn up to any of these performances. Yes. What we basically said, okay, so look, we've spoken to Dan and Dan basically said, He's willing to pay the sh- play we're willing to play the show for free. If you just basically pay for our flights and just we'll even we'll even kind of shack up in one room in a hotel just to give Dan a chance. Yeah. So luckily a lot of the promoters said, Okay, thank you for for, for, for going the extra mile for us because we love Dan. We adore him, he means everything to us. But yeah, but don't worry about it. Look, we'll give you half of the fee. We'll put you on <laughs> the new pay for your flight, this and that. So so our first show was in Athens, Greece, with Demetrius, it's a lovely guy, big fan. And everyone was so happy to kind of have him back, you know, have Dan Tracy back. I mean, there was moments of br- moments of brilliance, and then there was this moments of like confusion, and then, but it's what it is with the TVP's performance. It was just like, sometimes things fall apart, but then they would co- retrieve him again, and you know, <laughs> this is what we learned, the baptism of fire with Daniel.
0: Yeah. You know? That must feel i mean that must looking back on it, that must feel quite a special time in your life.
1: yeah, it definitely was because without Dan Tracy, I wouldn't have met a lot of these performers you know what i mean i wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been accepted by a lot of these performers and industry people, you know because of my uh because they saw like what i mean what we what we did as a band with without management, without really like a label like Domino, yes, but I mean at that time we were rebuilding Dan, I guess we were rebuilding Dan's career. Yes. With love and, and care and, and, and support, you know, as a brother, musical brother, you know, a lot of the industry saw that. And so they would see like, oh, they're playing Athens-Greece, they're playing Thessaloniki. Oh, wait a minute, they're playing Sweden now. They're playing here and they're not canceling. No cancellations, what? Eighth show, no cancellations. tenth show, no cancellation. What, 20th show, no cancellation. So all of a sudden, it's just people were really getting excited about Dan's back. And, you know, we would go yes. into this, you know, yeah.
0: So. So, so that took you up to 2010. Was that a time when 2011, you... 2011, yeah. 2011. And then this is... Did you sort of decide that was it or did other... Because he has a fall, doesn't he? He has a bit of a... Um, another... That's right, he
1: had a fall. He was in, he was in Camden. You know those, those bendy buses? Yeah. Yeah. I think someone had told me that like he he basically fell out of it, fell out of the bendy bus. And he hit his head and he hit on the pavement and he basically had a con- uh concussion and they took him to Royal Free Hospital and they just discovered he had a blood clot a little bit of aneurysm. So they operated on him ASAP yeah. in an induced induced coma. And then from there like he uh, the 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 operation was a success, but he ended up staying in a coma for I guess it was maybe about two months or something like that. Jesus. And he, eventually, he came out of it. Eventually, he came out of it, speaking, yeah. talking, this, that, like, oh, how are you, mate? You know, you know this. So yeah, yeah. We were but- on our ro- we were on road to we were on the road to. Uh, he was on the road to recovery. He really was.
0: Yeah. And then, so what happened with you and the, the next the last ten years after
1: 2011? So from 2010, you know, we were like. TVP is after Memories Better Than Nothing and uh, playing the show at Heaven, supporting MGMT, you know, in 2010. I think it was March, 2000. Um, then I kind of like decided, like, because we really didn't have many shows in the diary. I just wanted to kind of branch out and explore. And I got MGMT invited me to go on, on a Scandinavian tour with them. So I just basically would play a couple of songs on stage with them, you know, in, in Sweden and in Stockholm. You know, and then Oslo, Norway, and uh, a couple of other dates, and, and that was great. And that kind of gave me the, uh, the confidence and the impetus to maybe branch out and do m- my own songs. And they gave me that that support, which I really needed. You know.
0: Yeah. So then, I think it, because at the
1: time, and also because I was coming out of a, of a separation, you know what I mean, and it was very devastating. You know.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah. So, so
1: they kind of lifted me again. They lifted me up again. Gave me confidence so
0: that is tough I, and also you you're in a i don't know you're in a foreign country aren't you you're not you're not near your parents or your family and you're not yeah it's a bit different isn't it when you're
1: oh but far? at that time i had family i had i had i had a wife i had two kids and you know what i mean Yeah. So in, and so i just came out of a, a separation and i was kind of devastated and and so i basically just took a little bit of time off from like pvps and just like you know and I was invited by those kind boys, my friends, and they uh, gave me a boost, which I really needed. So from there, I just started kind of like writing songs. And then some, some strange serendipitous moment happened where like, uh, we're just, uh, you know, connected with Adam Do you know what I mean? And Adam Ant just loved what I was doing because he was playing a small little show um, in uh, London. He was playing the uh, Proud Gallery. And this is when he was kind of coming back little by little, you know what I mean? Yeah. small shows. And um, he was like a surprise guest, I believe. They didn't say who it was. So then we were, I was there in the audience and at that, that time I always bring my harmonica with me and just, you know, a little bit of, little bit of harmonica. <laughs> so he's just playing a couple, there he is. He's playing like kind of like Rolling Stones songs, plays T-Rex songs and he played, he played Buddy Holly. And for me being a Texan, I was like, "Oh my God, he's playing Buddy Holly!" So, like Peggy you. I started playing my harmonica just very quietly, just like, you know, just playing a bit of harmonica. Hey, and uh, then all of a sudden, he stopped playing. He goes, Who, "Who's playing that harmonica?" I go, "Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I I just wanted to put, play along because I was so excited." He goes, "No, that's okay. Come up on stage." Then that's he funny. he asked me, you know, oh, so. Um, what are you doing here? I'm coming to see, just coming to see people, meet people. And he goes like, "Okay, you got a harmonica. Here, come join me. I need some support." So I just basically started playing with him. We played "Physical." We played a, was it? Another Rolling Stones song. And it was brilliant. So we played "Peggy Sue," Rolling Stones song, and "Physical." That was amazing. Then after the show, he basically came. We came down. We had a beer, and he basically said, "Oh, so what do you do?" And I told him what I did, working with TVPs and. Playing gigs and doing this, and, and he basically said, "Like, hey, I could use someone like you. Like, you know, send me some of your music and see what you got. And, you know, you, I might be able to use you for something." Excellent work. So then he, I gave him my number. He gave me his number, gave me the address to where to it send sent it to. I sent my music to him, which is this idea demos that I had recorded. And so he called me back saying, "Bob, I, I really, I really like your songs. You really got something there." says, hey, do you want to kind of uh, support me on tour? Because I'm going to put on this uh, th- my first tour, of the UK tour. I said, I would love to. So he introduced me to these other musicians. And uh, we started working and rehearsing. He paid for all the rehearsals and he took care of us. And so we went on the first, his first UK tour, you know, in 2000, winter 2011.
0: But Lion. before that,
1: he, I, w- I would sometimes get calls at like 11 o'clock at, at my home. And it was Adam saying, "Bob, can you come join me at Madame Jojo? Or can you come join me at the Water Rat? It'd be great to have your harmonica with me." So, oh wow! So I would jump, I would jump on a tube and just, uh, you know, meet him, meet him somewhere, you know, and uh, just jam with him. Yes. You know? yeah. And how did
0: and how did you find Adam? Because I know he he also had a lot of kind of he'd had a few, well, quite an episode of mental health issues as well, from what I've read. So did that. Did you sort of find that, you know, were you able, because you seem a very empathetic character, did you sort of manage to sort of get the best out of him? And- yes,
1: yes, he was an absolute sweetheart. He really was. He was very supportive, you know, so supportive that, like, uh, he wanted me to look my best on stage, so he gave me his black leather jacket, and he, he gave me these, these black leather, his black leather motorcycle boots to wear on stage. Kind of creating this image, and I had this beanie cap with the Adam and the Ant logo and all that. And so I would play that on, st- on stage, and, and he was like, just observing, saying, Okay, Bob, we can do this and do that. It was so flattering because it's just like, This is you know, remember MTV again? This <laughs> <Yes. laughs> the days of MTV, and here he is, just kind of having a lot of faith in me as an artist and a performer. Wow, that was amazing! You know, but yeah. he was very kind, very generous, and you know, just gave us our per diems and then some. You know, we had a splitter van. To make sure we had a splitter van with all. You know, TV with video games and all that. Not that I play video games, but he was so kind. He was all. You know, he was brilliant, and it was wonderful to kind of witness him kind of coming back because he hadn't been to the USA or any other places. You know, and um, this was his launch. His launch. You know, coming yes. back again. You know?
0: me, that's amazing so you toured the uk
1: and the usa with adam no no no. i toured the uk with him right and then from there the next year th- then he came back he was like going back and forth to the usa and and i was luckily i was able to witness that because i started playing gigs like in new york or like in texas like just my own solo stuff and then adam would be there as well be going through town and i'd be put on the guest list and be taken care of and i witnessed them coming back and and I think I met who's the guy from Rolling Stone? The guy that um uh he, he was he was like the the guy from the main guy from Rolling Stone. Do you remember who he is? The man? Remember the main guy from, pardon? Well the the Rolling Stones? The, no, the the magazine
0: Rolling Stone. Oh, there was a guy called well the the uh, yeah, I thought it could blind me. There was Yan, Yan, yeah, no,
1: not him, not him, the other guy. Um, Photographer. Brian, Brian
0: Hyatt. Um,
1: well, he was there with Adam because he's there, he's old friends with Adam. And it where he played for the first time in New York. Was a, I think it was actually the, still used, used to be the, the, the Fillmore or something before in the past, but Adam, Adam played there and it was, he was brilliant, it was an amazing show. Yeah. Capturing capturing them coming back to the USA and Yeah, so yeah. And then and then sort him. of
0: so that takes you, you know, nearly eight years ago. What happens for the rest of the decade with your kind of musical journey and and sort of probably relocating out of London again?
1: Well, um that was 2012, 2013. I played like these like Brooklyn Northside Festival kind of, you know in new you know new york and all that and with my bass player who's also my producer and so while we were doing that we were kind of going to the studio studio uh sugar hill in Houston. so we would go in there and kind of start getting these songs ready and playing these songs as well as kind of playing a couple of TVP songs and just like you know for the fans and things like that and you know the band were on hiatus anyway so so just just giving them something you know and um I think it was 2014, it's like, this is what I was doing, just kind of getting used to playing on stage, getting used to being front and center, being the front man, being a performer, you know, playing places like uh, Austin Psych Fest, playing shows for Jane Casey at District in Liverpool with Alan McGee and Dan- Jane Casey, playing showcases for Alan McGee for the the Tabernacle this is what I would do. I'd play showcases for the Tabernacle in Wales. Yeah. Or like um at the social, like for creation with Brown or in Liverpool for Jane Casey and Eric Gooden. You know, that was work creation nights, some in Edinburgh. And I was just basically just doing all of this, playing here. Then I would play solo shows in Stockholm, Sweden. I play solo shows in in Oslo, Norway. I'd play solo shows like New York. And then I went to Russia, you know, 2013, 2000. I mean, I was just like finding myself and meeting musicians and just getting, being on on the go, on traveling around, just creating and uh, being influenced, you know, with with uh, with people, places, that wanderlust feeling, helping my writing, this and that experience. Yes. Yeah. So you, so,
0: so you work in, you know, you said you were. Doing things with Alan. And also, did you say Jane Casey, who was from Liverpool?
1: Yeah, from big in Japan and uh, Pink Military.
0: and Yes, the famous yes. Jane Casey. Yeah, so, yes. yes. So you did, you, you're very good at your uh, networking, aren't you? Kind of connecting with people.
1: Yeah, it's, I guess it's kind of connecting with kindred spirits, you know? You know, when you kind of feel the energy and you feel them, their beautiful energy and you kind of connect with them and they kind of take you in and take you into their hearts and you know, and your friendship, and it's just very flattering, you know. and um, So I just uh, connected with so many people. I even connected with Faye Fife from the Rizzillos, and we did some writing together for a short time, you know. But I was just, like, going up to Edinburgh, going up to Glasgow, going to Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool, going constantly back and forth to Liverpool, from Liverpool to Stockholm, Sweden, to Liverpool to Stockholm, Sweden. And by that time, then I had, like, an album ready. So it was yes. like four years, 2016, On a Distant Shore, which you would know the reference to.
0: On a Distant Shore, indeed. No, yeah, I don't. On a
1: distant shore, miles from land, the ebony totem, ebony sands, and the mist of rain. on a far distant shore.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah. yes. Was this your second solo album?
1: Um, the my first album came out like in t- summer 2016, which is on a distant shore. And it was recorded in Stockholm, Sweden, with the guy from uh, at the, the guy who was in the Swedish band called the uh, Caesar's Palace and, um, and the Caesar's Palace and Blade Big Bird, who worked with Brian's Jonestown Massacres. So he had a studio in Stockholm. So me and my producer flew there. And as I was doing shows, we also went in there and did some recording. Then we did some recording at, at, um, in Houston, at Sugar Hill, and a little bit in London. And then we brought these songs together and just released it, released the, released the album. Yes.
0: So when you did your, there was a track you did, Real Life Await, Awaits Us, Goodbye London. Is that when you were, was that written with the idea that you were, that adventure was, was kind of finishing and you were going back to Texas?
1: No, closing the book on London, yes. No, not going back to Texas, going back to, going to Liverpool. Right. Embracing the city and the love that the city has given me. Then yeah. and, and now. So where, yeah. are you,
0: so where are you now? Not literally now, because you're in Texas. But where, so where are you sort of on the journey? I know it's also a bit of a tricky year because we're all in lockdown. But generally, where are you sort of, where have you just been and where are you sort of hoping to head to next?
1: I was in L, for the past Four years I've been coming back and forth to LA, you know, you know, with a dream, the creation dream machine, which is an idea that I had. Is like uh, with, with Alan, I told Alan about this idea that I have about putting on some nights in Los Angeles, you know, and he um, was brilliant. So, you know, I would go back and forth and kind of uh, immerse myself in the city, taking the buses, taking the train, late night, this and that, you know. Going from downtown LA, West Hollywood, Silver Lake, Echo Park, talking to musicians, talking to promoters, talking to industry people, and seeing the layout of everything, of how it all works. Yes. And so there I take the magic pathway from there to Santa Monica, the ocean. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a beautiful journey I would take for those couple of years, you know. Yes, the the we creation dream machine. Yeah. But from there, I think. What really kind of was very pivotal with the Dream Machine was 2018 when I saw my bloody Valentine at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. And I saw the love for creation of all all these music people, all these bands, all these bands that I had seen the past two years that I've seen now, it's like, okay, let's do something with like kind of like, you know, a creation night here. So I told Alan about it, and Alan having so much faith in me, bless you, Alan, he gave me his full permission and his blessing to use the creation logo and the name. So I created the Dream Machine, and I brought in some people, and we kind of connected and put on some great shows in 2019. We were meant to to put on two shows, The Viper Room, this year. But of course... As you know, April 2020, that didn't happen. And also some shows at the Bowery Ballroom in New York. We were so close. Yes. So everyone in lockdown, we just said, okay, well, what can we do? So we can do an online event. So what we did was uh, with a dear friend of ours who has a house, he has a house in the, He lives in the Hollywood Hills. And I said, like, let's, let's put on a show there. We'll kind of do the social separation and all this other stuff and make sure that everyone's abiding by the guidelines and social separation. You notice I'm not using the other one. But. <laughs> <So> <laughs> the other term for it. <laughs> the separation of everything. So, yeah, so this is, so this is what we did. We um, came together. It was a time when we had adver- ad- advertised it like two months before during when this after the total lockdown thing happened. Then we go like, okay, It seems to us, when we can see in the news, they're opening up theaters again, opening, they're allowing people to go into the cinema. Oh, they're opening up the bars. People can, can, family members can see each other. Why don't we put on a show? So we were very careful, so we would put on a a band and the band would kind of separated like six feet apart, all this other business, and then they would play and then they would come off Put, they'd be outside the house, and then the other band would up and kind of worked it, changing the mics, all of that. And it was brilliant. It was a brilliant show. It kind of broke the spell. The yes. The gloom.
0: The gloom. That brief period. I know. So what? What? What's your next kind of? You know, say theoretically, you know, we can get through this year. What have you kind of got lined up for 2021?
1: Cross fingers I'll be able to play a show on Sweden. Another Sid tribute. Right. Big one. <laughs> That's in November, so yeah.
0: Oh, this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. And any because more Sweden
1: doesn't have Sweden doesn't have really uh lockdown.
0: No, they couldn't care. Couldn't care less, could they? They just went for it.
1: <laughs> I actually have a song called Stockholm on my first album. <laughs> it's my <laughs> little love letter to Sweden and Stockholm, but yeah yes um so uh and then after that Reykjavik Iceland
0: home of Bjork yes nice and any more and any more dream machine events
1: uh we are planning something uh we're of course abiding by all the guidelines that need to be abided by and all this uh, Separation again—the separation of all the social separation. You know, yes, I understand. We understand. So <laughs> we're kind of thinking of like, uh, it's like uh, the Beatles against the Blue Meanies. You know what I mean? So like, yes, you know, like music is banned. Music is banned. It's gray, total gray and scarring. The black, black and scarring gray world here. So we need to bring some beautiful technicolor to the world and hope it's music
0: Yeah. so
1: yeah yes i of doing do something in the next couple of months yeah
0: this would be amazing because i know quite a few people i've interviewed who were just bringing out new albums had the tools all lined up thinking right okay here we go we're gonna we're gonna have to sort of try and uh get something back some of the money that we've invested and then suddenly went shit i don't know what we're oh. gonna do you yeah. know it, it's a really tricky one you know so uh Yes, a lot of anxiety and a lot of lot of worry, really. So look, because you've had an amazing life in in music, and you're you're still thank obviously you, rocking. You, so, what, if you could say something to an eighteen year old self, I mean, you know, because it's a it's quite a boggling journey you've had. Actually, I just wondered if there was anything that you would have wanted just to say, you know, you'd just say, God, actually, there's a couple of things I'd love to say to your eighteen year old self. I just wonder what they would be to an, what an 18 year old musician right now well no say to your you know if there was something yeah i know it's a bit tricky this question at the times so it's yeah. best not to think about it too much it's like if you could have said something say to yourself when you were starting well, out yeah when you were 18 if you could have with the experience you have now what you would you just have whispered in their ear as they were either going on stage or they were about to go in the studio and you went oh I'll tell you something that's worth listening to, kid. You might want to ignore it, but I'll just tell you all the same. You know, I just wondered what that would be. Get on that damn
1: Greyhound bus to LA. Get on the bus. Get, get on that damn Greyhound bus to LA. Because LA's where it's that baby. At that time, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was, there was so much going on out there. You know, because when I was 18, I was living in San Antonio, Texas. I would have jumped on that damn bus and gone straight to LA. Go, I would have gone go, go west, young man.
0: That's right. what I would
1: have done. It's,
0: yeah. like the, it's like the YMCA song, isn't it? So basically, you, you wouldn't have ended up in a hair metal band, though, would you?
1: Oh, it would have definitely been post punk or goth, something like Bauhaus or, you know what I mean? Something like a early Cure or like, you know. What oh, I mean? no, that's, that's good, yes.
0: I always remember the first Cure record I heard, which kind of Adam and the Ants. Like Adam and the Ants, obviously. The Jerk so album. Would, So, were you still kind of.
1: Oh, God, sorry. Early Simple Minds, too. Yes. Early Simple Minds. Genius. Echo and the Bunny Man. Oh, God, there you go. Echo and the Bunny Man. Teardrop explodes. It's Block of Seagulls. Yes.
0: Yes. What about the Wild Swans? Did you get into bands like the Wild Swans? Oh, they were great. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. The, the, whole, the, whole, the whole caboodle. But no, I was just kind of thinking that um, L.A. has that reputation in the 80s of being a sort of into that world of Motley Crue and Poison and those kind of bands. But obviously you were probably not in that camp, were you?
1: No, no, I probably would have gone to places like, like uh, Raji's or, you know, at that time I would have gone to those uh, punk clubs, you know what I mean, like the Anti Club or those other places that I, I kind of missed the boat on all that. So coming to LA, it's like I witnessed all the fallout of like of what was and what is still standing and what what is what still exists. You know what I mean? Yes. You know, taking everything down to because of development and things like that. You know what I mean? The Greedy developers and all that. You know. Hence why it was so. Important to, hence why it was so important to play the Viper Room. Yes. That used to be the central. That was like the like the meeting point, the the central, the whiskey, you know, meeting point for all the punk fans that played. Or post-punk bands, goth bands that came into town, like Devo, as well. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. And just, and
0: just kind of lastly, I mean, I've um, I've interviewed a lot of people, but I've never sort of interviewed someone with such a lot of heart and love. You must, you you obviously haven't. You must have an amazing reputation within the kind of artistic and musical community. They've, you know, like some people just give out the vibe, don't they? You have the vibe, don't you? Oh.
1: Thank you, thank you, David. You know, there's the Jekyll in in me, but uh, <laughs> not just kidding. <laughs> I'm really an angel. <laughs> yeah. Not just, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm an artist in <laughs> SF. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, no, it's great, and it's great that you've kind of picked up so many different people. And I mean, oh yeah, because you also worked with Rose from the Strawberry Switchblade, didn't you?
1: Yes. Amazing, amazing! I mean, I'm fans of, fan of, you know, kind of Psychic TV and Current 93 and Coil, and of course, you know, uh, the Sugar Cubes collaboration with Rose and, and Einar and, and, and uh, York, you know? Yes. What, 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 was the name of the, what was the name of that project? In Toronto. Oh, God, I can't, um, it was a collaboration that, that, that the Sugar Cubes and Rose kind of came together on. I don't oh. remember the name of the band, but it slipped my mind but. Well,
0: I'll have to have a look this this will be very interesting, but look, I'll do that another time but look well, thank you, Bob ever so much. this has been amazing
1: thank you so much for for like for this uh video conference call and I guess it's an interview as well
0: yes so so it's all good it's all good, so I'll look at sugar cubes <laughs> and Rose.
1: okay, look, yeah, well, look what, have a... what exactly is it uh, sugar cubes and uh they was Crystal Knights. They did Crystal Knights together, which I performed live with Rose as well. So,
0: okay, I'll I'll have to check that out. But it, I'm sure it's available somewhere.
1: Oh, it is, it is, it is, yeah. And um, it was great to kind of see Rose back again with Jason Mary Chain. We played the two nights supporting them at the uh, Glasgow Academy. That was amazing.
0: Yes, yours
1: of mine too, like Jason Mary Chain. You know, Creation.
0: I know you you go back to creation all the time, don't you?
1: I'm so I'm I'm so honored to be working on the dream machine with Alan because we have many dreams, it's fulfilling people's dreams, you know what I mean? Especially in very dark times.
0: You gotta you gotta keep the light going, haven't you?
1: Yes. The technicolor dream light. (laughs) I know, I know. John of synesthesia there too, a little bit of synesthesia in there too.
0: Yes. (laughs) You need we need the so the magic slide that they had at the Ali Pali that time? We got a miniature version here somewhere,
1: the helter skelter, wasn't it? There you go, there it is. <laughs> nice, my favorite color. There it is, the synesthesia color. That's it. <laughs> excellent,
0: excellent. Well, look. Bob, thanks again. Thanks again for this. And, um, and I'll send you the link and um, and I'll put it out there very soon. So uh, it'll be good. Not, yes.
1: Yeah, if I could just say like, one, just one thing I said, I think, you know, just I really thank my mom for all the support that she had given me like as a, as a child and all that love and that encouragement. And the first album that she bought me was Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, Elton John, 75, you know what I mean? 1975. I'll never forget that and I thank Dan Tracy as well because without Dan Tracy I wouldn't have met any of these people seriously honestly I wouldn't have I wouldn't have met any of these people so I thank him for that and I thank Alan McGee and his his faith in me as a friend as my boss and yeah so
0: it's a pleasure
1: speaking to you David
0: yeah well look thanks a lot and I'll I'll say goodbye now because I'm going to go to bed soon but look take care of that (laughs) <laughs> Time in England. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'll be back in the UK. Oh, good, good. Yes, yeah. we'll connect in person. I'll be there in a couple of weeks. So yeah,
0: are you meeting Alan?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. We'll, be, we'll we'll be meeting, discussing things, and other other people as well. So I'll I'll keep you abreast of everything. So yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Well, good one. I'm glad we eventually got this together. Okay. Well, look, I'll say goodbye now. Take care,
1: David. Take care. Stellar job. Thank you see you, bye
0: Goodbye. indeed, I love those last bits we clumsily discuss saying goodbye anyway look, that's uh, that was Texas Bob and uh, a big thank you for giving me the time for that interview this has been David Eastall, the C86 show if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just to C86show, it's all good. And um, yes, they've all been archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, C86show, just go there. It might just change your life. Anyway, have a great week, tune in, there'll be more interviews very soon. Bye.